This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Your truth always lies within. It's up to you to find it. Only you can do that. Valeria interviews Susan Glennie. She is the author of Moments in Time with 16 Men, a coming-of-age thriller book for women filled with mystery, romance, and suspense. Susan Glennie is a graduate of George Washington University with a BA in American Studies. She was a contributing feature writer for Kennebec Journal, a Maine newspaper. Moments in Time with 16 Men is her first novel, which is a coming-of-age thriller for women filled with mystery, romance, and suspense. Her newest publication is a novella called The Bowtie, which is about an unknown man with whom Jennifer has multiple unwanted encounters, soon to be published on Amazon. Susan hopes these books will help others understand some of the effects that trauma has on people. With support, love, resilience, and the right tools, many can live a healthy, productive life. A percentage of the proceeds of all of Susan's books go to the New Horizons Domestic Violence Service in Middlesex County, Connecticut. She currently lives in New England along the Connecticut River. She enjoys being outdoors year-round and observing the uniqueness of each season. Susan plans to do more traveling. One of the items that is on top of her bucket list is to cycle in Holland during tulip season when the flowers are in full bloom. Meet Susan at susanglennie.com backslash newsletter. Here's the interview with Susan Glennie. In your own words, who is Susan Glennie? That's a very good question. I would say, well, first of all, I'm a podcast guest right now at this moment. And (laughs) I'm uh, also Mm. a beginning pickleball player. And I'm a nature nut. Uh And I'm a photographer. And I'm a writer. And I'm a meditator. But most of all, I would say I am heart-centered and a child of God. And it's that connection with my heart that I identify with most. And that's what I strive during the days, the moments of the day, I strive to be in that presence of my heart self. Wow. Ah, I love all that. (laughs) What's not to love about the way you introduce yourself? I already have some questions here. So I guess before I ask you, how you became a, a writer. That's one question that I need to ask. Before that, being a child of God, the connection with your heart, that 
sounds, well, I'm a spiritual nut. So I have, that's why I'm starting with this. How did you come to this understanding that the energies of the heart is always here and to be connected with and that there, there is such a thing as called God. But talk to me about the idea of God you have too. What is God to you? Boy, that could be spoken about in volumes, but I'll give you my rendition is I think when I was a child, I I was outdoors a lot. And that was a very, it was my peace place. And when I was outdoors, I always felt really connected to the ground or to the trees and to the fields. And I felt very light. And That's where I really found my God self, out in nature. But it has taken me decades, years. I'm 65 years old, and it has taken me decades to really get in contact with my God self, my heart self. Mm. And and I'm still connecting with it. And I think what's interesting is when I first started on a spiritual path, it was all in my head. You know, you read about, you know, how to, how to, and all that. you got to do this. But it's really in your heart. And it, when you, a person connects with their heart, they're just much more calm and joyful. Mm. And that's what I'm striving for, uh, you know, at this point in time. And some days it works and some days it doesn't. But right now mm. it's working pretty well. Ah, yes, I can, I can tell. So what gets in the way, Susan, to this, let's say, to this alignment, to the, the recognition of the heart's energy or the God self? I love the way you say that, too. What gets in the way? I would say we're just the human makeup. We have the ego and the heart. And it's in every single human in the world, whether you're a monk or, Mm. uh, you know, you're, you know, on TV. It just is, that's our makeup. Um, It's always one's vying for the other, you know. But the God self is always there, but the ego Mm. takes front and center. And it's a way, um, my feeling is, is to be, aware. Mm. And once you're aware, that opens the door to the connection, but it's the awareness of Mm. your thoughts. Um, I said to, I made this analogy a few years ago when people talking about your ego self is that let's say you had a roll of paper and you wrote down all your thoughts during the day, all the thoughts, the good, bad, and ugly. And then you looked at them and you could see what you're telling yourself. Mm. And then you can choose the good thoughts and, you know, the negative thoughts, you can eventually be aware of them and then replace them or do, you know, work like tapping or meditation to be aware of the, it's being aware of your thoughts. And we all, it's always going to be there, but it's the awareness that make it so that I can be more calm. Mm, yes. So it, it, interesting to hear that. Some school of spiritual philosophy, they actually talk a lot about not thinking. It's almost like the goal is to meditate to the point where there are no thoughts. But I disagree with that. What do you say makes a lot of sense to me? Because I do hear my thoughts when they are positive and let's say uplifting. It feels like a song to me, like the most Mm -hmm. beautiful song. feels like music. So I guess that's what you're referring to, thoughts that that brings harmony and love Mm -hmm. and peace. Mm -hmm. No, that's I. Um, I read so much about just uh, being aloof from your thoughts, but that's yeah. not going to really change it. It's more working in a different direction with your thoughts, knowing that they exist and they not might be good, but to really 
focus in on that thought and say, you know what? I don't need that thought anymore. Mm, And to actually, I recognize the thought, even if it's not a good thought. And I say, you know, I don't need that thought anymore. So I'm addressing it Mm. as opposed to being aloof from it, because that's if you're aloof from it, it's still there. Right. True. And so the practice would be to keep doing that, Susan, like I don't need this, this thought, I don't need it to engage with it. But of course, we are aware of it, but without the engagement, would you say that this is a practice or at some point there will be more beautiful, positive thoughts and then less of the other ones? Right. The negative thoughts will, in all our lives, there will always be negative thoughts. Again, it's the awareness and not letting that thought overpower you. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. take and and there's all sorts of techniques to do that. And this year I've worked really hard on that, and it, it's been very successful. But you know, again, I'm 65, and it's been the last only the last three or four years that I've really dug super deep, mm-hmm. and it's a lifelong commitment. Yes, it really feels that way, right? It's a mm-hmm. it's a life practice. So the other question, how did you become a writer, Susan? I know you you wrote two books already and you're writing a third one, The Bowtie. Right. I was doing feature writing for a newspaper and I was doing their cover stories for the Sunday section. And I was also doing the photography. So they kind of got a two for Uh one deal for me. (laughs) And as I was doing that, they're asking me to do more assignments. And I'm Inside my heart kept pounding, like, no, you've got to do a different writing. You've got to do a different writing. You've got to do something different. And I couldn't ignore it. And it was Mm -hmm. like, it was really, so I decided I'm going to start doing fiction writing and I'm going to start writing these short stories and see what happens. And so that's the start of it. It was my heart directing Mm -hmm. me to -hmm. go to another direction. Right. That's beautiful. I love the way you say that. Yeah. Always being guided by the heart. Yeah. How wonderful to hear that over and over again. You see, that sounds like music to me, listening to you say that. Do you connect writing to healing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Writing Moments in Time with 16 Men was a healing process. Um, And what it was very interesting because I did a lot of research for the book. And uh, it's a combination of some of my own story and then research from uh, just what I heard in the news or documentaries. And I combined everything and it really uh, was very healing for me because uh, not just in writing, but for anybody healing when you do journal writing or anything like that, it's a way of shifting your thoughts on paper. Right. And mm. it's, you're almost like regurgitating your thoughts and it's, a, you need to reflect on them later. So it's a very healing process. And they've done studies on when you do with pen and paper, how therapeutic and how healing that is. But whatever works, you know, if you do it on the computer or however you want to do it, uh, transferring your thoughts to another media is it's a very good thing to do. Yes. Yeah. The practice of journaling is well known, right? Mm-hmm. In therapy, mm-hmm. for sure. And myself, I did the same thing. My first book I wrote about my story, and there was uh, such a healing experience, an incredible mm-hmm. one. Let me ask you, th- since you mentioned the name of the book we are, that we are discussing today, Moments in Time with 16 Men, a coming of age thriller book for women filled with mystery, romance, and suspense. So, what was the main Intention and purpose of writing this book, Susan? I would say there are several reasons for writing the book. The book deals with a woman 
who seems in the beginning to have her life together, but she really doesn't. And she's a real gifted teacher and she has to leave at the height of her teaching career because she's having flashbacks from her youth. And she has to figure out what's going on. So she, in, meanwhile, she's living a you know pretty okay life and she's functioning. And then when these flashbacks occur, she has to piece it together. She has to piece all this together of who this man was and what he did. And that's where she really goes from functioning to kind of going down the ditch. And then she's got to rise above and realize what's happened. And she's got to make a decision in her life. Am I going to go forward in a positive way or not? And she does through the help of, of many of, uh, you know, different tools. And she rises to a, a lovely person who really, truly loves herself and lives a healthy life. And it's these 16 men in the book, the good, bad, and ugly and beautiful that are all there for her in different capacities. Wow. Let me see what questions to ask, not to disclose all this story here. So she had had a traumatic experience in the past, mm -hmm. right? Was it a uh, surprise? It's not really suppressing. Repressed. Yeah, it was repressed. So did that happen consciously? Because it seems like repression doesn't happen consciously. It was subconsciously. Right, Susan, that happened. How did that happen? How did she, she was not aware of that for so long? Right. Um, well, just like what happens with people with trauma is a lot of times they repress it and it doesn't come out until years later. Yes. And, yes. Uh, for example, a lot of times war vets, they right, have suppressed right. it for decades and it will come out in their sleep. So that's what happened with Jennifer. It came out in her mid-30s by her dreams and she didn't know what was going on. And finally, she became aware of this man and she had to identify it piece by piece. And so she solves it. She solves the, per she finds evidence and she solves the mystery. And then she's got to decide what she's going to do with her life. And at that point, it's a turning point. What is she going to do? And she couldn't confront the man because he had died at this point. So she um, really was on her own in a lot of ways, but she found help. And she worked at a bookstore and she had a flashback one day and the owner of the bookstore closed the shop up and talked to her in the back room and told her that she herself was a survivor. And this woman guided her to go to a therapist and get tools. And so that was a starting point. Right. Yeah, it, it, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? That she would come to this the contact with therapy because that really helps. In my case, I know we are we are talking about Jennifer here, but I had a lot of childhood traumas in the past, and although it seems like I knew where it came from, a lot of what happened was not disclosed until later too. Mm -hmm. That's something amazing about trauma because we are not in control when we are being traumatized, especially at a young age. That was my case. So mm -hmm. I was not really aware of what was happening. I guess the question that I'll ask you is, do you, a general question about trauma, how much can we really control when it comes to the consequence of being traumatized? Because we are coming from a place of trauma, so we are not even aware 
uh, of what is driving us. So um, I would love to have your opinion about that because a lot of the choice that I made, the bad ones, it felt like I had no choice at all. Well, I think um, right now, one of the positive things about living in 2023 right now is that there's so many resources out there. Mm. And 20 years ago, there were not. Yes. And everything was kept quiet. It was like, oh, that couldn't happen in this household or that would never happen. But you didn't have anyone to go to. And now the resources are there. So I really feel that um, if someone has a situation and they don't want to just, you know, talk to anybody about it, there are hotlines. Right. And yeah. that is a key. Mm. And the key is to be aware and to get out of the situation as soon as possible and if you can, and then to get help. But again, it's got to be the right kind of help. It's got to be a good fit. So um, in people in this situation are very vulnerable. So I would suggest to go to a hotline and then they can give you resources to go to um, either a shelter or to therapy or they will give you the resources. So there is always a way out and it's never a Band-Aid method. It, it takes years. And I think um, as a person like Jennifer in the book, she spent years going through and she did journal writing and she did running. And she's like, when is it ever going to end? Why does it keep going? And what happens is, is as you get older, things just change. You become more resilient if you do the tools. It's just like flossing your teeth at night. Mm -hmm. You don't floss for six <laughs> six days then your teeth oh, yeah. might not feel good it's like you've got to do the tools that work for you and jennifer in the book she did running and she was religious about being outdoors and journal writing and getting support and the other thing is it doesn't take a village the expression of village to raise a child or a village to help someone it takes one person so if you have one person whether it be a really fabulous grandmother or in Jennifer's case, the bookstore owner, that's there for you to direct you, that's fabulous. But ultimately, you've got, each person's got to rescue his or herself. No one can do it for you. You've got to put the life preserver on and start swimming. <laughs> yes. And, it, and, so yeah, and everyone's got mm. to rescue his or herself. Mm. No one can do it for you. Ah, yeah, what a beautiful message. Yes, I love that. Thank you for saying that again. It's a beautiful reminder for all of us because we tend to stay in the victim kind of mindset, right? And suffer even more mm -hmm. from that mm -hmm. point of view. Mm -hmm. I heard recently somebody say something powerful. We only mature or become wise when we take responsibility for the things we are not responsible for. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that really stopped me for a moment and I was reflecting and I never forgot. I usually forget quotes. I forgot <laughs> who wrote it anyway. <laughs> I always forget who writes, but that made so much sense to me. And what do you say? I think in the very beginning of your book, you said your truth always lies within. It is up to you to find it. Only you can do it. So yes. this is a different way of saying the same thing that we right. ask ourselves. And it was interesting. Again, I was outdoors walking at the end of my walk that thought came to me so again when i'm outdoors that's where my uh. creativity <laughs> is at its best so it's that's where my you know that's my little 
you know, it's like my church, you know, my, oh, yes. <laughs> the, tree, the trees are like, yeah. you know, the trees are like the steeple or, you know. Uh, and you see, I love the way you connect us. You talk about the heart and then about the God self in nature. So you in creativity, they all connected. Right. Aren't they? Exactly. Uh, how beautiful. So another open question for you, Susan, is about suffering. How do you make sense of humans hurting humans? Injustice. You know what? I don't have an answer to that. I think um, I wish I did. I think it's dreadful that people are doing that, and it's part of the human condition. But I don't have an answer for that. It's totally. It, it breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart, and that's why with the news, it's important for me to know what's going on in the world. But I can, I listen, I read it online. You know, I'll read the New York Times and I'll read the Guardian, and which is from. England, and then sometimes the um, Hill, which is from Washington, D.C., but I will limit myself to the news because it's too heartbreaking. So I don't have an answer to that. Yes, interesting to hear that. Usually I get an answer. (laughs) I think in a very humble way, my guess, the attempt to answer that question. But he writes, and I did it for so long, looking for healing, actually. There was a question for me that was a a key question because I I really wanted to understand why do we hurt one another? What's the root cause? It's fear, basically. You know, the old principle is it's been everything is an action based on love or fear right. or that, you know, variant of it. And so yes. that's what it is. It's ah. fear. It's always love or fear. And that's how we operate as human beings. And um, what happens is that when some people become so fear-based and angry, they just lose perspective. And their ego just totally dominates. And it's, it's, they, they lose total perspective on things like empathy or world, you know, just compassion or love or, you know, they, and so it's, um, it's very sad, but it's all, it's fear-based and anger. Mm, Yes. Yes. A billion times. Beautiful answer to me. a, A very true one. Yes. Uh, fear is the, the root cause, which I use a different word, but it's the same thing. I would say I use ignorance in the mm-hmm. sense of uh, ignoring what is true, the interconnectedness of everything, mm-hmm. that everything is connected. So once we lose track or we, when we don't recognize that truth, then anything in the ugly side, it's possible. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so violence and all that. And I wondered, what is your vision for humanity when it comes to being more in alignment with the heart, living from a place of harmony in love. I think it's going to be the younger generation that's going to um, hopefully get some new tools. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was voting last month, or this month, (laughs) everything kind of blurs together. (laughs) And I was in an elementary school. And on the bulletin board, there was a theme of forgiveness. And this is an elementary school, so that's great. And they had things on how to forgive and what it is. So if we can have more people in the world with those tools at a younger age, and we have more people being empathetic, then the world will be better off. But it's going to take some of the older people to teach the younger people some of these tools. And um, sometimes, you know, some countries, there's more of it than others. But I'm I'm hopeful that the younger generation will take a different role and be more empathetic and use forgiveness as more of a way of life. Mm, Yes. And this is something that we need 
We need to start early, as you said, yeah, the young generation, children, teaching children to understand their their own selves. The whole, it's almost like coming from a place of wholeness, right, yes, Susan? Absolutely. Not yes, absolutely. Not just from parts of us. Yeah. Right. Wholeness is the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, that's what it comes to me when when I think about a solution for this problem. But, and I love the way you use the words tools, tools. So tools in a sense of whatever it is that makes us see the obvious or things that we are not able to see easily on a day-to-day basis from the ego perspective. So that that sounds very spiritual to me, though. Every every time you say tools, I think about spirituality. It seems like that's what we need. You see the, the themes of empathy and forgiveness, love, compassion, patience, understanding, they all fall into the space of the teachings of spirituality. And, and I know that's, you know, can, uh, a lot of times I don't even talk here too much about some of the things that I have understood myself from, from doing a lot of the spiritual work. But that's what it is, basically. We don't have to call it spirituality even. Maybe, maybe we don't, right? Like, what is your idea? Do you use the word spirituality or? It depends on who I'm talking to. I would say kindness. People, you know, it, you know it's more vernacular, kindness or being gentle or just, mm. you know, just being a mm. nice person. I mean, who doesn't like you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> being a, I would say, you know, just being a nice person and the whole golden rule, do unto others as you like to do unto yourself. I mean, that's really, you know, that's really what amounts to the golden rule. Treat others with kindness mm, yes, as you would yourself. And I think the whole thing with Jennifer back in the book, one thing with how she rises to new heights was she gained her power. And what she did is she truly, truly, for the first time in her 40s or 30s, to love herself. She loved her heart. She loved herself. She valued herself. And it took decades to get rid of the old, but she replaced it with the new. And her heart opened. And I think in a relationship, it really matters to love yourself and respect yourself and treat yourself, the expression of treat yourself as you would your best friend. So you treat yourself with that kindness and love. Then you are so much better off when you leave your door to go to the world. You know, you can be kind, you can be patient for the most part. So it really begins with the relationship with yourself. And that's what the thing is with Jennifer. She grows and she becomes a remarkable human being at the end and her stories will also help readers grow and reflect on how they can be the best that they can be in their life. So the stories in this Moments in Time of 16 Men really um, can be very reflected on for your life. Yes. And I, I want to get some of the lessons here uh, since you mentioned the book, too. And see, that's um, I know you mentioned the self-love, loving yourself and and from that place, doing the same thing to others, because we can only love other people if we love ourselves. That also resonates true. So that's is that what you call it, spirituality? Spirituality. I think of spirituality, everyone's going to have their own version of it. My thing is (laughs) spirituality (laughs) is really being at one with your heart self. And that's being spiritual. And it doesn't matter what religion you're, you can even be an atheist. And just, you just really get in tune with your intuitive heart self. 
And that will give you so much support. It's sort of like I can be alone, but I know that my heart self is connected with God. And so I'm not really alone, even though I may be alone physically. What a beautiful message. Yes. In a book, so again, the title of the book is Moments in Time with 16 Men. Do you do you talk about the, the, the theme comes to life within the, the topic that we are discussing now? So, right. The themes that come in this book are basically how Jennifer evolves from childhood trauma to going and dealing with it head on, face to face, and rising. She goes from being a victim to a survivor to a thriver. And she truly, uh, you know, at the end, she is able to just live a very healthy life and see things very much in perspective. And she does this through her tools. You know, she does forgiveness work. She makes actually one part of the book she has she makes these origami swans and she goes down to the ocean and and on these origami swans she wrote messages of forgiveness and she goes down to the ocean and she drops them into the ocean and watches the swans go out to sea and so that was a combination of her creativity and her forgiveness oh that sounds beautiful and i'm trying to i'm visualizing that actually sounds almost like a a celebration of that right yes yeah Yes, exactly. It's it's exactly that. And again, she's outdoors. Jennifer is a real outdoors gal like me. Um, (laughs) She gets a lot of her uh, messages and food for thought of where to go next in life by being outdoors. Yes. And her Mm. grandmother is a great healer for her in the book. And her grandmother was an organic gardener, and yeah. Grandma Grace. And yeah. Jennifer's middle name is Grace. She's Jennifer Grace Donnelly, and her grandmother really was there for her. So she learned a lot from her grandmother. She was a really cool lady. Ah, yeah, I love to be saying that. <laughs> yes, uh, it sounds very much like it. Her energy is really beautiful. I love that name, too. There's something about Jennifer. I don't know why, but I think I had a friend called Jennifer. And she was yeah. very warm. Well, thank you. I also, the reason I chose Jennifer is because the book was written, you know, in a time period when Jennifer was a very popular name. So Mm -hmm. I wanted a name where people could identify with. And she's a a fun little character. She's red hair, strawberry blonde red hair. Mm -hmm. And she's about 4'11". So she's a little pipsqueak. And um, (laughs) what I really love about the cover of the book, Mm -hmm. Moments in Time with 16 Men, is that I worked with the artist in South Africa. And what she did is, I said, you know what? I had this vision of Jennifer on a wall with the 16 men. And so what she did is she composed portraits of 16 men through the description of, I told, you know, I told her about what each guy looked like and what they were as people and went back and forth and she did it. And so on the cover of the book are the 16 men. So when you read the book, you can figure out who, you can be like, oh, is that this guy or is that yes. that guy? So and she did a great job. And yes. yeah. a lot of people around the world worked on this book. So it wasn't just me. I had people from England and I have uh, my audio reader is from Canada. So it's a, almost like an international effort. It's, a, it's kind of cool. Yes, right. The collaboration, people coming together right, to mm-hmm. bring something like this to life. It is right. beautiful. What inspired me to to think about was the, the way we are hurt is also the way 
to heal. It's kind of interesting, this understanding. It's that's the way I'm trying to, I mean, I don't know if this has to do with this, but I have to say it because she was hurt by men. Then her healing came from the relationship with men as well. Or, yes, absolutely. Right. That, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of, it has been my own life experience too. Mm-hmm. Connecting with men at a deeper level in a sense of Personally, just try to heal those wounds. Mm-hmm. There were some men in this story that really were totally there for Jennifer. Um, and they were just so loving and kind. And they really supported her. Uh, there's one story where she's on a road trip. And this guy, Theo, yeah. Yeah. ends up being the most one of the most spiritual people she's ever met. And actually, mm-hmm. this is when she was in her late 20s, I believe. And he introduced her to spirituality. So wow. there was yeah. like all sorts of guys in the book. Like I said, the good, bad, ugly, and beautiful. So, <laughs> yes. So it is, uh, as you the title um, clearly says, right, it's a thriller. So he has, wow, has everything, that mystery, romance, suspense. So, and there's something about suspense. I do, I do like those movies. Are you planning to make this or, or try to make this into a um, play? Is it playwright or play? Um, a movie. Yeah, I think, um, well, actually, that's a very good question because I have two other books that one's in the process of being published and the other one already is. It's actually a short story. It's called Jennifer and Santa. And that's more on the light end of the spectrum. It's very light and fun. And then the one that I think would be a great uh, screenplay would be, Mm. it's called The Bow Tie. Yeah. Uh And basically that is something that I think could definitely be a screenplay. And that's coming out in January. Oh, yes. Right. I think you have that. Do you have the information on your website? I'm not sure if I saw it. I believe so, yes. Or by email. Yes. So this is good to know as well. Yeah. Let's see. We're almost at the end. Oh, my God, Susan. I have many questions here for you. Yeah. I'll use some of the guided questions that I received. (laughs) That'll that'll really help. Yeah. What was your, let's say, the most meaningful, the most heartfelt chapter to write? I would say the most heartfelt chapter was the one on the road trip with Leo. The one, the, the dude who, yeah. he, he, you know, it's it's like you yes. can't judge a book by its cover. Mm. He, when she met him, she was yeah. <laughs> in a place where she had like, she had these people to go on the road trip with. They all canceled out. So she's this guy and she has mixed feelings about him because, you know, uh, you know, he's like kind of greasy, dark hair and <laughs> yes. he's wearing black. And she's like, oh my God. But she needed someone <laughs> yeah. to go on the road trip with. And as they got together through the days, he's a gentle very bright man. And again, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. And she just was saddened that, you know, they departed and she never heard from him. You know, he was in going to Montreal to practice French. And so that was probably my favorite chapter. Right. And you did mention that to me. So for a reason, right. And I'm glad you did. There's something about spirituality, like I mentioned to you before, my idea of spirituality is exactly very similar to what you said about self-love, but we can only get that in a deeper sense when we know not even who we are, but what we are. So I guess self-knowledge that interests me the most. And that's what I call spirituality. So going deeper within. So and you you said that beautifully again, the very beginning of your book, right? your truth always lies within. So that's, it doesn't get more spiritual than that, from my perspective. <laughs> so let's see. So another a guided question. Uh, yeah, as you said, the 
you, the question was, what is the key to living in the moment? And off record, we talked briefly about trauma that uh, somebody defined as the inability to stay in the moment. So talk to me about the key. What are the keys, the key or the keys to be in the moment for you now? I, okay, I would say the key to be in the moment is to actually not think about not think about the future and not think about the past. And I do breath work. I have this tool where I breathe in, I hold it for four seconds, and then I go like the wind out. And I do that about four or five times. And I soften. I listen to my heart while I'm doing that. And I'm in the moment. And I'm not thinking about, oh, what I have to do. And that's the key is to the awareness of really listening. Just listen to your heartbeat or listen to your heart and your breath. And the breath will really bring you to the moment. As soon as you mentioned, it became a guided meditation to me (laughs) right away. Ah, yes, we do forget to breathe. So, I mean, breathing, right, it it connects. That's true. Breathing is connected. It's timeless, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. uh, And it doesn't, breath is in the present. The breath is not in the past or the future. It's in the present. Right. Which there's no time here. Uh, Exactly. Constructed idea of time from, from, from humans. I love that too. Oh gosh, Susan, love your wisdom. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's beautiful. Another question is about the self-care being perceived as being selfish. So self-love and selfishness. How do we learn to distinguish them? What would be the difference from your perspective? Selfish is when you, you know, you're kind of taking more than you need or, you know, kind of uh, thinking just about yourself. And, you know, that has, it's not a good way to live. Where self-care is basically taking care of your basic needs, such as treating your body with respect. Again, it goes back to treating yourself like your own best friend. And that means eating well. That doesn't mean that you're not going to like pig out one day or overdo this, you know, or not exercise. It's more generally speaking, eating healthy. What works for you? Again, you've got to find out what works for you. Some people like being a vegan. Some people like being eating meat. It's, it's what works and feels good in your body. And then also, too, is to move the body. You know, uh, our society doesn't move enough because we're, you know, so plugged in with computers. So to move the body in some capacity and to eat well and to be surrounded by positive people. And if someone, you know, we can't always have that, you know, with our family or work, it doesn't always happen, but have less time, you know, don't spend a lot of time in the drama of other people and really uh, be surrounded by people who support and love you. But ultimately it's your relationship with yourself and taking care of it yourself. When you take care of yourself and love yourself, that's like the best thing that you can do for yourself and also the world because mm-hmm. you're healing yourself and you are a positive contributor to mm-hmm. everyone out there. Yes, I think they call the rape effect or yes. something that healing yourself, it's healing the world. The ripple effect, yes. Ripple effect, right. It's passing that on as a legacy, right? Mm-hmm. Not just fear and no. and trauma. We wanna we wanna end that those legacies. 
Yes, Susan, beautifully said. Oh, gosh. So I love the end of the book. You do have the book discussion questions. They didn't expect to see that. So that's very interesting. In a sense of having the reader interact with those themes and kind mm-hmm. of think about them, even write about them. So that was really beautiful of you to I, I, I don't think, I, I don't remember, I see journals like that, but I've never mm-hmm. seen a fiction book mm-hmm. like this. So I want to mention that and thank you for doing that too. Yeah, well, that's that's good for like book groups. Yeah. Uh, and it's also good for someone just if they want to have their own reflection on their life and Jennifer's life, they can put those questions and answer for themselves. So it works on an individual basis also for book groups. Yes, that's really helpful. I was I was looking at them, I highlighted some of them even. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But mm-hmm. before then, I want to thank you for your presence again, for your, your healing presence. I love how joyful you are, how you. uplifting and how open to talk about themes like this, not just mm-hmm. talk, but to write about them. Mm-hmm. It's very important for us, not just women, but for humans. We need to get Correct. in touch with the hearts more. Yes. Um, uh, what a beautiful message. I mean, all, all, everything that you speak of resonates with my heart. And, Aww. but I love the reminder that to be in touch with the, the heart, you know, more often just mm-hmm. to, to be aligned with that. What a beautiful message. Thank you so much again. So thank before you, saying you. goodbye, would you like to, oh, I have the ending questions, but before that, would you like to say anything that you left and said or read a passage in your book, Susan? I think what I'd like just to say is that I think the book is, uh, really a fun book and it's a good healing book and what's really nice is that you can get it on Amazon in paperback or Kindle and it's now an audio it just started audio yesterday and you know I'm real excited about it and then also a percentage of each book sold goes to New Horizons Domestic Violence Services in Middlesex County Connecticut. Right. Ah, that's wonderful too. You see, that's um, beyond the contribution of wisdom, right? Passing on this legacy of love. It's also doing something to make this world, the physical world, a better one, right? With that contribution, not just wisdom, but also financially. That is, that's beautiful to know. Oh, you're about to say something. Oh, yes. Also, too, is if you want to, one little plug. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can go to Susan Clenny, (laughs) susanclenny.com forward slash newsletter. So you can learn more than you ever want to know about me at susanglitty.com forward slash newsletter. Oh, yes, I got your cover. We'll have that. The link will be on the podcast profile. So it's be clickable, the book too. So it's easy to just find and go straight to Amazon and your website, the newsletter. So thank you so much again. I do have the ending question. I'll ask you this one before we say goodbye. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Okay. I think what I really like is for people just to live in the present and enjoy themselves and not take life too seriously. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think uh, I, it's just amazing. Like I live with a lot of kids that live near me and I hear them outside and I don't even always see them, but I hear them laughing and uh, it just brightens me. Yes. And it's, <laughs> it's really that innocence that we all have and a lot of us still have us in, in us we just connect with our hearts to every day, feel your heart and connect with it. And remember, that's who you are. And when you do that, you become softer and just bring that out to the world. There was um, one in three, that message. It's 
That was a big one, right? You have been saying that. Just not to take ourselves so, so seriously. Right, right. And I used to be quite a serious person, and I still am. But I really, I laugh a lot. And I, I see, a, I, I, I'm kind of a jokester at times. Yeah, yes. Really when I'm outdoors. <laughs> Oh, I see. Ah, that's how. So that's the, the, the influence, the reflection, right, of nature, the impact oh, it has mm-hmm, on us. Mm-hmm. How amazing. Thank you so much for your presence again, Susan, and we'll talk soon. We'll be in touch again. Take good care of yourself. It was a Thank you for listening. To learn more about Susan Glennie and her work, please visit susanglennie.com backslash newsletter. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.